Welcome guys, welcome to the Brand Identity Design Business Podcast. My name is Jason, I'm your host and you're listening into the current series which have which I have been doing for the past four seasons now. It's called as the dark side of entrepreneurship. Nothing really dark about what we speak. We touch base on interesting uh, topics, subject matter. Uh, the, the core objective is to share ideas, recommend strategies, on how to do business, how to deal with adversities, how to make money, what unique things are running out there, what kind of strategies have been applied by business owners out there, how we can help one another. That's the whole objective. The name is simply catchy and that's why I went ahead with it so that it piques some curiosity and make people listen into the show, which has been very, very effective. So my podcast, you know, just in case if you're new, it's heard in over 23 countries, currently ranks on Spotify on the top 30% most followed business podcast. Not only that, I think I'm currently trending number one in Southeast Asia based on the recent stats which I got. And I've been fortunate enough to win an award from Spotify. It's called as the Anchor Spotlight Awards, recognizing its, recognizing its excellence or my excellence or the podcast excellence and contribution to the podcasting industry through the content which I have been generating. I have actually made more than 8,000 minutes of content. This specific episode which you're listening to, this is my 112th episode, season 4, episode 22. I aim to do a few more seasons, uh, specifically about the dark side of entrepreneurship and bring you, you know, interesting content. So I want to quickly let you know uh, that the season five waitlist is actually open. So if any of you guys listening who are entrepreneurs who are interested in being a guest on my show, it's very simple. I don't care about the following. I don't care how big is your organization. As long as you have something interesting to speak about, uh, please reach out to me. DM me the word guest. I'll send you the waitlist link. We will review your profile and I would be happy to have you on my show. Season 5 starts from January of 2024. It's going to run for another 6 months from there. And we will have fun. So let's actually get into this uh, conversation. So the today's topic, which, which all of you guys are excited, it's about the role of user research in product development with Michelle Ronson. I'm very, very excited to have this conversation with her. I want to personally thank Philip. 
Philip is the one who actually recommended uh, me, Philip Van Dusen. If you remember, he was a guest on my show on last season. And Philip was like, Jason, you need to have Michelle on your show because she is an expert an entrepreneur. She really knows about user research. And that's why we are having this interview. So let me get into straight. Okay, so, you know, who is this episode for? If you are an industry professional, an entrepreneur, or if you're simply curious about the intricate process of crafting user-centric products, this event will uh, offer you actionable strategies and thought-provoking discussion. Uh, you know, prepare to get deep dive into this conversation. So who is Michelle? You know, let's get into that. So Michelle is a user research executive. Uh, she's an expert in that field. She's also a coach and an educator. She teaches design and user research to people around the world. Her corporate trainings and workshop have inspired by working with Fortune 500 and startups for more than 20 years. In 2010, actually, Michelle founded Ronson Consulting, a, de a design and strategy firm specializing in human-centered research, design development, and hands-on learning program. Ten years later, uh, she established Curiosity Tank to help more people ask better questions in order to make confident decisions. And in 2020, uh, Michelle taught over 3,000 200 students on on how to ask better questions and make more informed business decisions linkedin also honored her to be the top voices award in technology category congratulations to you on that michelle and and michelle uh, also has clients uh, michelle's clients include stripe slack zillow schneider electric blub books Code for America, Usability Hub, Zero, uh, Microsoft, Autodesk, Square, Facebook, Kaiser, BNB, Paribas, Best Buy, Blue Shield, PayPal, uh, and many, many more, many other fantastic startups and mom and pop shops. So I want to do, you know, let's have some virtual noise. Let's welcome Michelle uh, Ronson to our podcast. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle, for being here. I, I think I may have put you on mute when we were starting the recording. So please unmute yourself. Uh, the mute button would be right at the bottom of your screen. Uh, Michelle, I, are you there? Uh, just just send me a DM if you can hear us. I don't know if there is a technical connection. Guys, I can you hear Michelle? If, give me a thumbs up if you can hear Michelle or give me a thumbs down if you don't. All right. So I have not seen a thumbs up. So, so Michelle, you, you are still on mute. The mute button is right at the bottom of your screen. Interesting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue playing the audio track while we figure this technical issue out. Awesome. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, did I screw it right. up? I'm sorry. I couldn't <laughs> unmute myself for some reason. I, I apologize everyone. I'm thrilled to be here today. 
Well, I'm glad we we are able to hear you loud and clear. I can hear you. So, guys, you know, please give me a thumbs up if you can hear Michelle. Let's see some thumbs up. All right. So we see some thumbs up. So I think we are loud and clear. I think we can move on. All right. So Michelle, so thank you so much for being here. I apologize. Uh, I had to put you on mute when I was started the initial recording. Let's get into this topic. Okay. Now, Michelle, I'm I'm really excited to know about user research. I, I'm a designer. I understand the benefits and importance of research in general, okay. But I'm not into UI, UX, or you know the user research thing which you do specifically. But I'm interested in learning more. Could you help us understand what are the core principles of user research in the context of product development? Yeah, sure. And I'm a designer by trade too, so I speak your language. Um, <laughs> design is my first language. I like to say. Uh, so I think it's important to um, to first start with user research um, and thinking about it as a process, right? It, it's not just a kind of one step, two step um, type. It's a it's a way of it's a way of thinking, and it's a process of figuring out how people interpret and use products and services so we can understand them in order to improve those experiences. So user research is about looking for people problems. It's about looking for underlying motivations and behaviors. And in order to do this successfully, we start with really clear objectives. And those objectives always, sh or those objectives should always align to um, clear business goals. And we craft a research plan to uncover how the product or the service or the experience um, can be improved for the greatest benefit of the organization. I can get into hypotheses and assumptions. Those are the things that we actually test. We always want to test a specific point of view um, and and user research in the end, when done properly, should help us build empathy um, for the people that we're designing for in an evidence-based and structured manner. So it's it's a it's a process, it's a practice to acquire evidence-based data in order to make decisions, and then document and communicate those learnings to inspire action. Ideally, it's continuous also. It's a continuous feedback loop. It's an ongoing process throughout the product development life cycle. I like to say, think of user research like sales or like marketing, right? You never stop. And, and ideally, user research is continuous because we don't live in a static world, right? Our competition is changing. Politics are changing. The economy is changing. Like all of the, our roadmaps are changing. Our, our CEOs are changing. Our, um, our uh, environment is changing, right? There, we don't, we don't exist in a static world. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why we want to incorporate this ongoing practice continually. And let me pause there. I know that was a mouthful. <laughs> oh my, I'm glad you shared all of that. Could you, uh, you know, maybe just to help people conceptualize this user research, would you mind sharing maybe a small example so that people can just relate to it? Sure. So um, 
a, a user research question might be, um, or actually some of the questions that I am asked to explore most frequently, that might be helpful to put this mm -hmm. um, into context. Yep. Um, so in no particular order, um, who are my customers or my subscribers or my drivers or my fans or whatever we call those people that we are designing for or that we want to better understand? Um, like, who are they really? Not who are they from a demographics point of view, but how do they think? How do they act? What do they prefer? What are they doing in lieu of having my service or product? Um, how important is X or Y to them? Um, another question would be, what should we build? And this is typically where a team uh, has an idea or they see an opportunity that they think that they are well-suited to fill, um, but they're not quite sure how to go about it, right? So what should we build is, um, is it a great question. Um, are we building the right thing is also a great you know, user research question. And by, by great questions, I mean, these are not questions that we would put in a research plan. These are kind of questions that I explore as a user researcher. Are we building the right thing? Um, usually comes from a team who isn't necessarily confident um, that they're going in the right direction or the approach isn't working as well as expected or new information has come along and perhaps they're thinking a pivot. Um, a related but very different question is, are we building the thing right? So before I mentioned, are we building the right thing? Are we building the thing right is more about taking the correct approach. Okay. Another question I'm asked to explore um, is why did this metric go up or down? Like what's going on here? Um, analytics can tell us when there's been a spike or a drop, but they can't tell us why. Um, comprehension is something that we explore the most. Um, do, uh, did they, quote unquote, the people we're designing for, do they understand this as intended? How easy is this to interpret? Does it make sense to them? Is it in the right order? Is it in the right sequence? Um, is it named properly or not? Um, and then of course, you know, how do we improve ABC, right? How do we build a better mousetrap? How do we make it faster? How do we make it better? How do we make it more intuitive? Um, should we implement or sunset this feature? We is a, another question. Um, like what are the pros and cons associated with this? What, what might the domino effect might be? Things like that. Is that helpful? Yeah. I'm, I'm writing all these things down. <laughs> you never know. This might come in handy. <laughs> All right, all yeah. right. Okay, so I want to build up on that. Okay, so at what stage a company would be in their operation? Like, you know, like, is it, will it be a startup? Will it be like a matured organization? Who would end up reaching out for doing this user research? Like, you require data, right, to make, like, to analyze things. And you also require some information about customers. So I'm assuming the business should have worked with some customers whom you can survey upon and learn from. So I just want to understand, like, where would this apply, like, this whole thing? So I, um, user research um, should be uh, considered at every stage in the product development cycle. When we have an idea, when we're in the what should we build phase, where we have an idea, where we see an opportunity space, 
um, typically that initial research, it's called generative research, um, is done to generate a better understanding of the needs and opportunities in this space. So generative research will allow you to assess the severity of say the pain point, um, just because something exists or um, just because we have an idea doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea or people are willing to pay to make that idea go away, right? So generative research is used to build like a foundational understanding for problem definition and then to identify potential opportunities and solutions that result from that. Um, so generative research um, yeah, typically informs new initiatives. Um, the studies can focus on the stakeholders, the, the target, um, uh, the competition, or people that use the competition or competitive products. Um, and it often includes attitudes, behaviors, opinions, as well as competitive environments. Once we have a good sense of um, that foundational understanding in those early stages of the innovation process, we want to then take those understandings and develop um, a loose concept, very, very loose concept. Um, the looser, the better. I don't mean anything pixel perfect or easy even anything rendered on a computer, right? We want to um, really get feedback on what, how somebody, this target audience interprets A, B, or C, right? And what's most meaningful and relevant to them. And then increase the fidelity of those designs as we move throughout the product development cycle. So we're going to move from generative research to evaluative research. Evaluative research is where we actually have something to evaluate, like that very loose concept. Let me pause there. <laughs> this sounds so cool. Like this is really interesting. I understand now you're so why you're so fascinated about user research and why you're so into this because you know it just sounds so interesting. You know, as you go one step at a time, you can learn quite a lot. So this this is pretty cool. Now, over the course of time, since you've been doing this for almost twenty years now, probably more. How has user research been uh, evolving in the recent years based on your professional experience? And what kind of impact did it had on product development? Or maybe you can share an example just to you know illustrate this point. Yeah, I mean, user research, I've been working uh, full-time as a user researcher for the past uh, 12 years. I mentioned earlier, I transitioned from the design side. Um, but I mean, it's the entire industry is is just night and day compared to what it was when I when I started. Um, so some of the biggest changes that I have seen are the increased integration uh, with agile and lean practices. Right, right now it's much more integrated into development methodologies. Um, researchers work closely with cross functional teams, um, and you know. 12 years ago, it, it was very difficult to even find a job title, you know, or, or a job opening. There were very, very few um, user researchers compared to where we are today. Um, another um, great evolution, I'd say, would be the fusion of both qualitative and qualitative data. 
and a greater emphasis on combining those two. We call that mixed methods research. Um, and then also kind of this fusion between marketing and market research and CX or, or customer experience and UX um, before um, those were increasingly seen as separate disciplines. And now I think we have a much better appreciation for the skills that we each bring to the table. And many, many more teams are now collapsing to, to bring these functions under one umbrella. Um, tons of different tools and technologies from recruiting to panel management to um, analysis and synthesis tools, um, you know, heat tracking, uh, eye tracking and, and, and heat maps, um, lots of different platforms to facilitate unmoderated research as well as moderated research. Um, Oh my gosh, I could go on. Uh, accessibility. Uh, <laughs> let me let me pause there. <laughs> it makes absolute sense. Wow, so many things involved here. Wow, this is this is pretty cool. Okay, so my my next question question to you, uh, Michelle, will be: How does user research provide uh, valuable insights for product development compared to traditional buyer personas? If that makes sense, like as a designer, when you were also doing design, uh, you realize that we, we do buyer personas in, in the initial route, in the initial stages, just to help the client out, give them some sense of a direction. So I wanted to understand uh, the difference or what can it can be compared with, like if that makes sense. Yeah, so I'd love to break apart these these different terms. I developed something called the UX lexicon because I found that there is, there is so much confusion with the terms um, that we use in our industry. And I, and I think that this is, this is a, a perfect example to kind of break, break, break apart some of these key terms. So a persona is a representation of a group or segment of people. And it's, it's like a summary of their attitudes, their behaviors and characteristics. Now, Ideally, personas are developed um, based on research that was conducted, right? So it's, it's based on evidence that already exists. Now, many times teams are creating a persona without that evidence, and that is totally fine. But the process should then include some sort of validation of that persona of those characteristics of those attitudes of those behaviors right so the process of creating valid personas includes the time and investment in data collection to make sure that they're actually accurate so so let me go back to your original question in terms i think it was along the lines of how does uxr provide more valuable insights compared to traditional buyer personas so I don't see these things as mutually exclusive, right? Because a, a traditional or non-traditional buyer persona should be based on evidence. And that evidence can be collected through user research, market research, customer experience research, et cetera. Now an insight, let me pause there and see if you have, if that made sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I'm with you. I'm listening. I'm listening okay, with great. intent. Okay, let go on. So um, 
there is controversy about personas as well, right? Um, so about how useful they are um, and that um, they often are created and then not updated over time. So there is a large potential um, to misunderstand or, or misuse them. And there's conflicting ideas about the best way to define them, right? Or develop them, right? But all in all, um, they should be based on a team's hypothesis. We're going back to what I mentioned earlier about assumptions and hypotheses, which should always guide our research efforts um, about the audience and then be validated. And it should be validated through qualitative research. So an insight um, is something that uh, we often take away from user research. An insight would be like an aha moment or a new discovery or deeper understanding or a new perspective or level of understanding um, from a study or a group of studies. So we, we uh, Identifying insights isn't a requirement for every study. Um, oftentimes those are the most sought after, but that again is, is a misused term. Um, we will always have findings from our research and findings are different from insights in that findings are the raw learnings or the, the raw discoveries, typically things that were articulated or heard from um, participants in our studies. They're raw objective outputs of the study. Um, you will always have findings, example, from both evaluative and generative research, but you might not always have insights. I'm with you 100%. I actually agree with you. No question at all. You're absolutely spot on. I wanted to ask you about organizations which are just starting up. Now, let's take startups. You know, limited resources. They just begin, uh, begun, and they want to make a difference. They want to develop a product. So, mm -hmm. so such companies with limited resources, how can they integrate user research into their product development process? Um, you know, the first thing to do is to understand and really take stock of um, what you're willing to risk, right? And uh, come up with some sort of prioritization framework um, to work towards. Um, not all research questions are equal. Um, not all research questions carry the same amount of risk if you don't explore them. Um, not all research um, uh, projects or um, outcomes are needed at the same time. Um, so I think having those sort of conversations at the onset with a larger team is really, really helpful. Um, another thing I would recommend for startups is to get their analytics in place and their, their tracking in place. I'm working with um, a company that's been around for maybe 15 years now in the publishing industry and they don't have um, strong analytics in place. So I'm working on a number of uh, projects uh, with them in my next Ask Like a Pro cohort. Um, and in many instances, I've asked, um, what do the numbers say? You know, where is this dropping off? And analytics teams and customer support teams um, and even our sales teams can be 
incredible, what I like to call friendly canaries, right? Someone somewhere knows something, right? Find the dead bodies. <laughs> but by instilling those sort of tracking mechanisms with analytics into your product, you know, from day one, and some sort of reporting and tagging system for customer service um, tickets or Zendesk tickets and some sort of tracking mechanism for your salespeople, that will go a really, really long way um, before you invest in, you know, building the the research skills of a team. And, and those aren't necessarily expensive. Um, also social media listening and social media um, online communities are really great for both primary and secondary research and sites like G2 Crowd um, can give you an unbiased um, opinion as well. Um, how's that for a start? I think these are some nice tips uh, and, and, and I think it makes sense. Have analytics, have some sort of a tracking mechanism to, to gauge and understand what is the market saying just observe patterns and behaviors so that you get a, a lot more depth so what you're trying to say if you don't if you can't really afford you know taking advantage of user research from a from an expenditure point of view and if you're not in that stage yet do all these foundational things in the beginning be observant learn uh, adapt evolve and go on from there and once you reach a point then take advantage of user research so that you have a much more polished uh, view on things. Am I am I getting that right? Um, kind of. Kind of. The, okay, let's try that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me let me rephrase that a little bit. It's not just about the money. It's a skill set. I mean, this is a practice. I I often say that um, becoming proficient in user research is akin to learning a new foreign language or learning how to play a new musical instrument. You might have the money to conduct a research, but if you don't have the expertise and the, and skilled professionals to guide you through it and teach you how to navigate the nuances and the vices and the plethora of decisions to make throughout the planning process, the screening process, um, you know, to right size the questions, to develop, you know, the discussion guide, to choose the right methods, to analyze, synthesize, um, you know, you can do more harm than good, right? If, if any one of those um, uh, points in the process um, introduces bias, for example, unknowingly or knowingly, um, you know, then, then we're going to be gathering flawed data and then we're going to make decisions poor decisions off of flawed data, right? Um, so I would say, yes, let's get our analytics into place. Let's get tracking mechanisms into place with um, customer service teams and sales teams. Um, get used to social media listening, check out third-party sites like G2 Crowd. Um, and, and I would add to that, seek mentorship and guidance from an experienced user research professional. Um, not necessarily money related. Makes sense. I am with you. Okay. Now, since you spoke about methods, I wanted to understand 
you know let's talk about uh, you know the method the key steps which are involved in conducting user research for product developer could you walk us through that whole thing you know maybe just give us an overview step by step yeah this is actually exactly how my series ask like a pro is laid out um, it's a series of six workshops that moves through the entire product development uh, or research cycle um, phase by phase. The first phase is research planning. And this is where we identify what we're looking to learn and how the learnings will be applied. Um, we work with our stakeholders. It's imperative that we include our stakeholders in the planning process to both ensure that we have understood what, what we're studying out to explore, um, but also about how that ties into the core business metrics, um, that our interpretation is the same, that we have clarity on when we need to make these decisions by, what level of confidence we're looking for, um, and things of that sort. And it's also really, really critical to help us frame what we're going to test. Are we going to test a series of hypotheses, which is an explicit experiment, or are we going to attest some assumptions, which are implicit um, ways of experimentation? Um, so once we create a user research plan with all of those necessary components in it, um, we will also begin to talk about who are the best people suited to provide us with the feedback we need about this particular topic. And this is where we get into our recruiting um, criteria. And oftentimes we're going to be identifying uh, people with certain behaviors and people with certain attitudes, or maybe it's just behaviors or it's just attitudes. And this will inform um, uh, how we go about um, finding the best people to um, contribute uh, to our, our, our study. And then um, we will develop some sort of screener to make sure that those people fit the criteria um, that we're looking um, to learn from. And we're going to simultaneously uh, identify which criteria we can relax if this is proving to be a difficult recruit. Um, and then we'll... Uh, uh, distribute that survey screener. Uh, we could do this in a variety of different ways. I won't, I could do a whole show just on that. Um, uh, and then uh, hopefully we're, we're developing some sort of smoke signals um, in that survey screener and maybe um, testing some assumptions um, about the recruit in that survey screener. Um, then once we identify the people we want to recruit, um, we'll go ahead and schedule um, those sessions, uh, assuming it's a series of moderated studies, um, or if it's unmoderated, we might funnel them into a platform right away, or the recruiting might even take place on the platform. And we're going to develop a discussion guide that includes everything that will occur within that session. I developed discussion guides for moderated and unmoderated studies. And the discussion guide includes everything um, from hello to thank you, goodbye. Um, and we want to make sure that the questions that we're posing um, in these sessions, whether they're 15 minute sessions for unmoderated or 90 minutes uh, or longer, um, support the goals we've already identified in the research plan. And we're gonna cross check those. Let me pause there because we're only about halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, what I like to ask you 
you could have been just a designer or been in the design profession what excited you what made you jump into user research like you know what fascinated you about this whole thing because you're so knowledgeable you have so much wealth of knowledge with you i'm wondering why did you pivot and switch and went to this direction can you help us can you share yeah, a little yeah. background like you know what was that aha moment like what was running in your head absolutely it's and it's a great question for the design audience too because i think many of you will be able to relate to this um as a as a practicing designer i was used to waking up in the middle of the night with crazy ideas and wanting to draw or build or create and i lived this way for years for decades and eventually i just i wasn't waking up in the middle of the night with new and crazy ideas anymore i wasn't as inspired um creatively and i went back to school at the california college of the arts um in their inaugural design um and innovation fellowship because i was looking for new inspiration and um i knew that it wasn't like i was going to become a travel agent or you know anything like that it, creativity and and the world of creativity and design has always been um as i mentioned before like it's always been my first language but i was looking for maybe a different um angle or 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 new inspiration and in this design fellowship program um each of the fellows worked on a capstone project throughout the duration um of the program and when it came time for us to do our user research i told this is so true i raised my hand and i was like who wants to train <laughs> and it wasn't because i didn't value research i'd been working with researchers for years and totally valued what they brought to the table i just wasn't interested in conducting research myself i was like ew i don't want to go talk to people why would i want to do that <laughs> surely somebody else could get more out of this and i would design for them you know some component um and do a trade and my professor um susan worthman at the time i'll never forget she said michelle ronson you're going to walk this plank yourself and i was like but why surely someone else can benefit anyway to make a long story short um i did a series of ethnographies um Uh, about a week or so later and an ethnography is where we go into the field and we study um the the people and the activities in it of our participants in the context of their actual environment and i was just blown away at how fantastic and rewarding it was to be able to ask my own questions and dig deeper to understand context in real time and it, and it was just it was i would i mean bold over is an understatement i realized i conducted five ethnographies that weekend and i realized that had i understood the power of research earlier in my design career i would have been able to design better solutions faster that were more relevant, more meaningful and more intuitive. And that Monday morning I was like that's it. That's this is my, that's it. I was like Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I made that like that six months later, I, I, at that time I was a senior vice president and design director at Wells Fargo leading a large creative team. And I was like that, this is it. This is, this is what I want to do. And, and it changed my life. <laughs> and it's so amazing. I'm, I'm glad that you pivoted to that direction because I mean, you can make out, see when somebody is passionate about things, you can really make out and gauge like the level of passion they have and you are exploring with passion when it comes to this. I think uh, your mind was hungry for something beyond design and something something way ahead uh, so that, you know, and that's I think that's what user research did. It, it helped you feed that hunger which was building inside you. A quest... So. It's also incredibly creative. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I love about being a researcher and being a research educator is it, it, it really requires a strong left side of the brain, a strong right side of the brain, constant problem solving, um, logistics. I, I mean, I love creating super fun activities for my sessions and my participants and my stakeholders and collaborating with all sorts of people and tools and stakeholders and talent. It's, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. That is, that is really amazing. I wanted to also just ask you one other question before we get into the topic. Uh, I wanted to ask you when you transitioned, okay, being from a designer, you had to let go of a lot of opportunities when we were transitioning into becoming a user research. I don't think clients walked right away to the doorsteps, right? So it may have taken you a while. How did you, how did you handle that part? Yeah, that's, an, that's another good question. Um, I was known for my design chops um, and I decided to, well, let me, let me back up. It turned out I had a knack for user research and both of my professors at the California College of the Arts hired me on a freelance basis um, to conduct uh, research for them. So I had two very strong mentors um, that provided me with experiences to learn and uh, get hands-on experience and feedback and coaching along the way. Um, and when I decided to go off on my own, I was known for my design um, expertise, not for user research. And again, this was about 12 years ago. So you, the, the, even the concept of user research and innovation um, was, was very, very different and, and very little was, was known about it. Um, but I decided to only take on design projects where the clients would allow me to do user research to inform the design decisions. And there was a lot of education involved there, but it turned out to be a really effective and strategic way to pivot. Um, so I did both design and research for about my two years, my first two years um, on my own. And then I was eventually able to phase out of the design, um, the visual design uh, aspect of it completely. And by design, I mean, pixel pushing. I mean, I can still draw very well, um, but I'm not creating like prototypes or anything like that anymore. That is so amazing. I'm glad you figured out, figured this out completely and you were able to make a living out of it. And not only that, you have worked with one of 
big big companies major corporations you made a difference so i'm very happy with the success you have my my next question is about when you do user research have you ever witnessed or uh, came across this situation wherein the research result is kind of conflicting with the vision or a preference of a decision maker at the organization yes okay and how do you navigate that situation very carefully <laughs> <laughs> well, you know if 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 i've done my job right um during the planning process right um i i i actually have uh, a lot of specific tools and templates um on my website um at curiositytank.com and 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 one of the best tools and templates there is is called my stakeholder kickoff plan document or cheat sheet or something like that um but if i've done my job right in the planning process i will have established um and it, it trust i will have built the credibility i will have under understood um or um uh provided the stakeholders with a safe place to communicate um concerns and fears and been able to address this at the onset um and many times that is going to include some sort of education. So here like like a typical example might be there's a new design director in town, they have two concepts, the new concept versus the old concept. The design director really wants, you know, his new concept or her new concept to perform better. And that's the hypothesis that we're testing. And I'll be, you know, very careful yet firm um to make sure that we communicate that we don't use research as a weapon um you know our our jobs as user researchers and people that are a part of the user research process um also includes a lot of ethical considerations um inclusivity considerations um and and we're not going to show concept A in full color and concept B in black and white right we're going to we're going to show um concepts with equal parity um and really move them through the educational process focused on the responsibilities of a researcher you know our our ethical responsibilities to participants and to do no harm and things like that so i i what works for me is to take a more educational approach don't so not to assume that um someone's trying to be an asshole excuse me <laughs> right and um Okay, go on. And that seems to work really well. Yeah. So, hopefully if I've done my job right, um uh there there won't be that that big surprise at the end. So I'm I'm constantly communicating to both increase trust and credibility, but also to increase buy-in and and the more active and included my stakeholders are in the process, the more likely they will um champion the work themselves user research is really a team sport right i can't be successful as a researcher without my stakeholders and my stakeholders can't be successful with user research without me right so it's like separating white from rice absolutely absolutely i'm with you i want to let the audience know all the 37 listeners 
listening to this conversation on LinkedIn Live that we would be opening up a space for Q&A uh, in about two minutes. So if you do have questions and if you've been patiently listening to us for the past 45 minutes, you're welcome to come up on stage and uh, ask Michelle questions directly about user research. I wanted to acknowledge some of my good friend, close friends, Felicia being one of them. Uh, Michelle, I have learned a lot about marketing, listening to Felicia uh, in her marketing cafe rooms on Clubhouse. She is absolutely an amazing person. Felicia, I would like to formally introduce you to Michelle uh, and, and, and you guys should become good friends. And she's a chatterbox. I'm telling you, Michelle, right now, once she starts, she does not <laughs> stop. Okay, I also want to acknowledge Wade, uh, who has joined, uh, joining our conversation. He's also a good friend. I also saw, I think I saw Thomas as well. I don't see him now. Anybody else, guys, you know, if you are interested, please do not hesitate. Raise your hand. I welcome you to come up on stage and ask Michelle questions. All right. In the meantime, what I'm going to do is we're going to take a quick break. Okay, I feel like drinking a sip of water. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play uh, an ad. It's a sponsored ad by one of my sponsors. And we will continue from there. So please stay uh, online or hang tight. We will be right back. Are you a professional speaker who has been dreaming about getting paid for the value that you deliver for your talks and workshops? If so, the Get Paid From The Stage program was created for you. During our six weeks together, I will give you all of the tools, templates, and guides you need to build a speaker package that will get you noticed. You'll learn the sweet spot for pricing your talk, how to negotiate with event organizers, and how to ask for additional value that you are missing out on. The next Get Paid From The Stage program starts on October 14th. Be sure to sign up soon because seats are limited to no more than 10 participants. Be sure to mention Jason's podcast when you register, and that will give you a one-hour one-on-one with me at no additional cost. I can't wait to see you get paid from the stage. All right, so the voice which you heard is by my guest. Her name is Carla Howard. She was uh, on my podcast this season. Uh, she spoke about how to become a five-figure speaker. And I want to let you know that she has an amazing transformative program, which is about six weeks, I think, uh, in length. It's called Get Paid From Stage. Uh, a few of my audience who are listeners have actually participated in this program. It's not too expensive. I think it's roughly about 32 or 3300 USDs. Okay, if you are interested in knowing more, at least have a consultation call with Carla. You will see the value and you will buy this if you are into becoming a five figure speaker. Okay, the registration link, you should be able to find it under the show notes or the event notes uh, for this specific event. You should be able to find it. So let's actually start QA. So I want to welcome Wade. Wade was the first person to join this conversation. So nice to see you. Uh, Wade, do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Hello, Jason. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, this has been fantastic. Um, my question for, your, for you, Michelle, is that you were just talking about how important it is to get the stakeholders on board. 
And I couldn't agree with you more, but I'm wondering as far as how do you get them to understand that the more that it's a collaborative process and that you can't use your research to um, really kind of steer anything, but it's got to be used as a value-added proposition. How do you really get that to, to be enforced in, in their and in their understanding and agreement? Um, hi. Um, so could you summarize that question for me? How do, how do we? Well, in, you know, doing your research, obviously, as far as you're going to come up with your findings, but you want to make sure that they understand that, you know, it's going to be a truly a value-added proposition for them to, to, mm -hmm. to embrace, you know, whatever your findings are and not use it, as you said, um, as a weapon. You got it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, what works well for me is to play to their ego. Um, I'm the, you know, first person in the room to say, I'm not the expert on XYZ. You're the expert on whatever it is, big, pink, blue pens. Um, my job and my expertise is knowing the right questions to ask the right people to ask them to and to analyze and synthesize the information and communicate and disseminate the information in a way that will be meaningful and relevant and inspire action the more feedback you can provide me the more accurate relevant and actionable this work will be for you So having this mindset really helps me establish both where my expertise lies and how their expertise will help make our work together better. All right, so I, I think I put you on wait on mute because it was echoing since we are recording. So please unmute yourself. Uh, do you does that make sense, or do you have a follow up question? Absolutely, it totally makes sense. It just uh, where you say, as far as it, it, it's easy for it to to be used as a as a weapon, uh, and and understanding what their needs are, I think it's also very easy to you know gear the questions uh, in as far as for your research to weaponize exactly what the the answers are going to be are you know almost per or, or curtail what the the feedback is going to be i'm interested in knowing uh, michelle like when wade said use it as a weapon could you would you mind sharing how this can be used as a weapon like what would be like a weapon here can you help me understand the weapon part uh, so in less UX mature organizations, um, research, um, uh, some, some people attempt to use research as a weapon to say, prove a point or to back up a decision that they want to happen. And as a researcher, you have an ethical responsibility to conduct your research in, um, a responsible way. So to go back to the earlier question about, you know, how do you, 
how can you dis, let's say let's use another word how do how can you disarm it right um again I, I tie back to the conversation that we had earlier today about building the rapport and building the relationship with your stakeholders at the onset and this is an ongoing process throughout your your study and 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 after you go through one complete study, right, there's, there's going to be a, a lot of ahas, but um, I also many times don't um, provide my stakeholders with editing rights to my documents, right? I'll provide uh, commenting rights and I will tag them, say, in a Google Doc or of the research plan of their discussion guide or the top line report. And I'll tag them in the report saying, um, this is what I'm hearing. Does this sound right to you, you know, at John or Tom or Susie or whoever? And I'm pulling them into my document because the, the last thing you, you want, there's two last things that you ever want in user research. One is for anyone to be surprised, for your core stakeholders to ever be surprised about any learnings. You should be communicating in every single step of the way. After a day of running some sessions, I'm always sending a follow-up um, Slack, you know, even to just say like, today I spoke with four participants, here was a key quote that really stood out to me. Or um, tomorrow we're meeting uh, with three participants. This segment is gonna be um, the orange segment. Um, and we're particularly gonna pay attention to questions one, two, and three. But I'm communicating with them constantly because I know that inclusivity equals buy-in, right? And, you know, eventually, sometimes it's with the first project, sometimes it's with the, you know, the fifth study, depends, you know, on your team and how approachable you are to them. Um, that inclusivity equals buy-in, right? And you always have at least two targets, target audiences for your research, and maybe this will be helpful for you too, right? So when I think of my studies, I always have the target audience that we're designing for, right? Like the end users or subscribers or drivers or whatever we want to call them and the internal stakeholders, right? The internal stakeholders need to consume and act upon the learnings. So by thinking about these as always having two separate audience, at least two, right? You're thinking about your your users and your customers, but like also think about those stakeholders, right? I like to think about them as wandering cats. They have full-time jobs focused on other things, right? They're not focused on research, but you as the researcher, you're in the middle trying to get your arms around these wandering cats and establish your role in the ecosystem and build that trust and credibility throughout the process. You don't want anyone to say you ask the wrong people the wrong questions in the wrong way, right? Because that would discredit the work. So by involving stakeholders throughout the process, when you're gathering that initial feedback, when you're prioritizing the questions and authoring the plan, inviting them to attend the sessions, to observe the sessions, provoke questions and improve understanding, right? You're going to mitigate those risks substantially. All right, Aveda, I hope that answers your question.
Do you have a follow-up question before we move on? No, that's been fantastic, and I've taken up far too much time. Thank you so much, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. Feel free, everyone, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a user research newsletter called Fuel Your Curiosity. Um, our next user research cohort is kicking off in a few weeks. Um, and I'm happy to answer any other questions that you might have. Tons of resources on curiositytank.com and the UX Lex. It was great to be here, Jason. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah, but we are not done. We have more people on stage. Michelle. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you thought we were wrapping up. I didn't mean that. Like, we're not wrapping up. All right. But I appreciate you being here. Uh, and and let's continue. We have another 30 minutes to go before we wrap our today's interview. I appreciate all the other individuals who have joined the conversation. And uh, so the thing which I want to let you know, guys, keep the question short because we want to ensure that we give my guest enough time to promote her business and what she does as well. So let's keep the question short and 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 limited so that you know we can go through everyone. So let's start with Felicia. Felicia, thank you so much for patiently waiting. How are you? And do you have a question or would you like to contribute? I have a question and so proud of you, Jason, with such a quality interview and show that you have. And Michelle, I'm geeking out because I was much like you, as he said, I was, an, I was a marketer and I started out with market research and kind of geeked out because I love consumer behavior. So my question is, you it's a segue into what you really just recently um, talked about. How are you infusing diversity, equity, inclusion with your researchers when it comes to the, the research and the, um, the recruiting criteria, both on the side of the researcher and on the side of your target audience? That's a great question. Um, I think it really depends on, on the study and it really depends on the type of research that we're doing. If we're doing, say, rolling research where we're gathering feedback, um, continuously say running a study once a week uh, or once every other week throughout the product development cycle, I might take a different approach there than if we're doing uh, one big study, you know, that's going to last uh, three or four months. Um, so we'd say, you know, I'm constantly trying to look to the left and look to the right to make the best decisions based on the information we need when we need it and the level of confidence we're looking for. So to follow up with that is the reason I'm asking is because I know a lot of times when I've had to conduct market research and people will ask for research that's not related to the target audience only to show inclusion. So they'll say, for instance, we're studying uh, you know, something in Greek and you're studying and your, your market research target, target audience were Greek people. Well, people will ask the question, well, did you also ask people who were Hispanic? Did you ask people that were from India? And me being a person of color, I'm looking at them like crazy, like, well, we were studying Greek people, but I start asking some of the market researchers, is it possible to also ask the other people that may or may not be users that, are they familiar with the product or that they have any kind of awareness just so I could have the additional data and to not appear biased. But I wondered how you, you handled it on a larger scale, obviously in a much more sophisticated fashion. How are you um, addressing when people ask the question, did you also ask or, 
what was what was the criteria who set the criteria and who were the people were setting the criteria if that makes any sense yeah so this is one of the biggest differences i've noticed between user research and market research or marketing research um, is that the 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 planning process is much in my experience is much more collaborative where the stakeholders are included so in uh, I, I have never authored a plan soup to nuts on my own for any user research study and 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 quite frankly if my stakeholders didn't have enough time to provide feedback and meet you know throughout the process and and like demonstrate that that commitment both in time and brain power um i suggest walking away from the study right because if you don't have that interest in that willingness to come along for the ride then the chances of pushback and the chances that the learnings will actually be implemented are slim to none so this ties into you know some of the earlier conversations that we had um, today, the, earlier it's morning for me, um, about that inclusivity equals buy-in. So if that criteria wasn't discussed in the planning process and it didn't seem important and my, my core stakeholders, um, you know, didn't, didn't identify that as, you know, key criteria, then the simple response is that wasn't a part of this research study. We could certainly do another study, but it wasn't included in this wave. Here are the priorities that we focused on, and here were the stakeholders that were involved in this decision-making. Well said. Love that. Because as you know, there are stakeholders that come at the end uh, that just want to join in have an opinion like you know the 12 o'clock hour that they weren't were the, the part of the core stakeholders that were participating and a lot of times i just call that the uh uh the charlie brown effect like you know here comes here they come at the last minute they weren't involved so that's very well said thank you so much for addressing that yeah great question great question awesome. it sucks i mean it just sucks but it's a part of the job it's just part of the job yeah it does suck so <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to acknowledge the new people who have joined the stage. Please uh, be aware that this conversation is being recorded by you being on stage. You're giving us consent to go ahead with the recording, monetize on it, make money, broadcast it, promote it, etc., etc., etc. So I wanted to acknowledge AR who has uh, joined uh, the conversation. Thank you so much, AR. Do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jason and Michelle really amazing talk uh, i have a, I have a, uh, a bit unconventional question maybe uh, because uh, when i jumped to this uh, uh, podcast and uh, michelle was talking about like the importance of data analytics uh, uh, in in product design and, and like finding uh, the making the data driven decision on on everything and something like that so I'm working in UX industry for the last uh, almost. It's been almost ten years, and at this age, I uh, I think I'm more acknowledged about like the super importance of the data-driven decision making in product design and uh, and and even UX design and, and something like that. So I have been enrolled in in data analytics course by myself uh, in in a in a 
professional certification so i just wanted to know like is that a good decision like uh, to just to know more about this data driven uh, decision making i'm i'm just adding this data analytics learning into my uh, ux product design learning or i am overdoing it so yeah that's my question that's a career question uh, michelle <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i'm not i'm not well first of all kudos to you for just continual learning i mean i consider myself a lifelong learner as well and in order to stay relevant in our industry um i think that it's a it's a requirement and and many people shy away from that so i commend you for um for continuing to invest in your own skills um uh i am a qual- and i also want to clarify i'm a qualitative researcher not a quantitative researcher so from your comment i'm interpreting your data analytics course is being more quantitative focused which is great um if you want to balance that out i would encourage you to ex- explore some more quantitative research um learning as well so quant can tell you um th- things that count right like the the quantity of um people that did x y or z they can tell you um where spikes or drops occurred um and as you likely know qualitative research can tell you or help you understand why or how um so so the complements between the two are really powerful Okay, awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I thank thank thanks a lot. Yeah. I got. Uh, do, do you have something else you like to ask? Oh no, I I think I've got the idea like the complementing of like the both qualitative and quantitative like that's I think that's that was the my motivation factor for going to a bit exploring the data analytics so yeah. Although I'm not I'm not very related to the field but there's only one thing which I can share personally if if, if there is you know something which is driving you towards that direction and you get excited and you feel interested curious you don't feel exhausted or tired you're like no i have this hunger to learn more if that is your driving factor i would say just walk that path you know don't worry about what outcome it's going to generate at least it's going to help you learn something new and you might be able to apply it at some some point in your life acquire that would be my suggestion but you know i appreciate that question ar Uh, hopefully you know we can catch up next week also when i do my show and guys who are listening to this conversation all the 24 listeners and everybody else on stage if you have not followed michelle please follow michelle please click on her profile please follow her send her a dm ask her questions okay and if you have a company who is interested in doing user research i am positive she is the right person to go ahead with and if uh you are following her please follow me as well it helps with the analytics helps me to spread the word reach out to a larger audience i wanted to acknowledge the next individual in queue her name is lia uh thank you so much she's a lead ux researcher and she's also a licensed mental health counselor thank you so much lia for being here do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation please unmute 
Um, yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Um, so yeah, I have two quick questions. Um, so my first question is, um, Michelle, I want to know, do you have any favorite project management tools um, that you use to document like research timeline or like the research calendar? Um, and then I have one more question. Um, be, uh, hi, Leah. Uh, good question. So one of my mantras as a researcher is to be a super easy researcher to work with. I don't want to be the blocker, right? I want to be the door opener and be as communicative and collaborative as possible. Um, and I mention this because this also plays itself out in terms of tool stacks. So I'm going to acquiesce to whatever tool stack, whatever project management system, um, and whatever recruiting platform is culturally relevant and in use today for that team. And I'll just make it a non-issue. Unless, unless something does not exist or I have a much better solution, I might propose some an alternative. But I will typically defer to whatever they have in place because I have bigger fish to battle at least with the first definitely no definitely working smarter not harder um mm -hmm. I'm developing a research calendar for my team and I think we're moving to like monday.com but um mm -hmm. I I think you know the best way is to kind of just be agile and you know work with what you have um yeah, Monday, Airtable, Asana. I mean, it's just six and one, half dozen of the others. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, you know, in, in, in that instance, I'd say, okay, great. <laughs> and just, and, and, and focus on making the research, you know, the absolute um, best it can, it can be and worry about, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't put that much stock into tools and platforms. Um, because I don't, I don't, I don't think tools or platforms are going to make or break your study. Um, understanding how to ask good questions, making sure those questions line up with business KPIs or OKRs or other objectives, um, nailing the recruiting criteria, making sure that the questions in the discussion guide support the goals and the objectives of the plan, you know, uh, inclusivity and buy-in with my stakeholders and collaboration, along the way, those are the things I'm really, I'm really focused on. Definitely. Thank you so much. And my last question is, um, being that it sounds like you kind of do like UX um, research consulting and strategy with like, you know, Fortune 500 companies and startups. Um, I was curious, like what elements have accelerated your UX consulting? Um, I feel like it's a really, um, vibrant industry and field and it's like a lot more of a demand now but um i think it's really easy to battle like imposter syndrome and the whole list of things that go on when you're like the key consultant um that's a great question i would say two things um uh having spoken to thousands and thousands of participants and running God only knows how many hundreds, maybe thousands of studies, you know, the experience becomes transferable 
Like you can, I can write a draft a research plan in two hours. Um, and, and, and that's been a great way to, to build that relationship, you know, with my stakeholders. Um, and I can honestly say teaching. I mean, I'm a career educator. I've been teaching, you know, I started off teaching design when I graduated um, from my undergrad. And then as I transitioned into design research and user research, I transitioned teaching from design to design research and user research and so forth. And I, I love teaching. I mean, I feel like I get as much from my students. I learn as much from them as they do from me. And teaching really hones your improv skills. Um, so you never know what question is going to come next. And um, learning how to communicate in plain English um, or in, in a way that uh, someone can easily understand is an art onto itself. So I've, I have found that the more I teach, the better team leader and collaborator I am. And the more studies I lead and consult with stakeholders, the better teacher I am. So it's a, it's a very reciprocal, reciprocal relationship that continues to give back. Having solid improv skills as a user researcher is, is, is really important because you're, you're going to be pivoting and something will, it's not when something's going to go wrong. It's, it, 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 it's not if something's going to go wrong, it's when something's going to go wrong. And, and, and researchers should be prepared for that. And, and building those improv skills is, is critical. And teaching has helped with that exponentially. Plus, I just love it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see like someone's light bulb go off, like to see them connect the dots. It's awesome. It's incredibly rewarding. I love it. I would do it full time if I could. Well, thank you so much. Um, I was taking so many notes. Um, I would love to connect. I'm definitely going to send a follow-up question. I would love to have you on my podcast as well. Um, lovely and fresh, and it's about UX and mental health. So um, thank you guys so much. Thank you. I thank, love it. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wanted to acknowledge Amina. Thank you so much for your patience. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Yes, thank you. Hi, Jason. Hi, Michelle. Um, I've been following you, Michelle, in um, Curiosity Tank for a while, so I'm excited to be able to talk with you. Um, so I did want to ask a few follow-up questions if we have time. Um, you mentioned earlier that when it's in the importance of bringing your stakeholders along throughout the entire research process and making sure that there's no surprises by sharing insights. And I think my hesitation with that is making sure that um, the team doesn't just kind of take that one specific um, data point and run with it before I've had a chance to fully analyze the data and um, give the full picture. So what advice do you have for how you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. Your um, audio is a little low. If there's any way you can turn that up, that would be super helpful. Um, but great question. And thank you for your support. Um, Could you phrase that question for us, Michelle, before you answer it, just to make sure everybody get it? The sure. audio was low. Uh, so, so my takeaway from that question is um, 
how do we bring stakeholders along for the ride um, when uh, they hear a piece of feedback or data and want to run with it out of context or before you know full analysis has been done? Um, so I'm going to tie that back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of including those stakeholders when gathering the initial feedback, prioritizing key questions, you know, that that inclusion really generating buy-in and investment in the outcome. Um, that's all like in the planning process where we're really trying to establish and build that credibility. Um, I also invite my stakeholders to observe the research live and or allow them to access um, the recordings. And again, to help build credibility, provoke questions and improve understanding. When I invite them to observe the sessions live, I always say you have to watch at least two sessions, right? Because, and I'm gonna, if they say I could make the Tuesday at two, but not the Thursday at four, whatever, I'm gonna try to choose two sessions for them that I think are gonna be as different as possible. Maybe I'm choosing um, one person from two different segments or one person uh, that represents two different, you know, attitudes or behaviors, because I want to make sure that they hear um, different points of view, that they hear different perspectives. Another um, is to do those uh, what I call research, send like research snacks at the end of each day. And that's, you know, kind of the Slack or the quick email that says, here's who we spoke to. This is what occurred today. This is a quote that really stood out. Um, if, if I'm really, if I have a fear that they're going to run with something um, uh, and whether or not I have that fear, I'm always including, and tomorrow this is coming up or in contrast, we heard this from, you know, another participant. And then the before I'm diving into my top line report, I'm identifying, you know, five or seven themes in what I refer to as a debrief sheet. Um, and then I'm asking my stakeholders which of these themes are most important to dive into in full analysis. So um, there, those are like four opportunities to, to make sure that that doesn't happen. But it all goes to, for me, including the stakeholders throughout the process. But my process is set up to, to mitigate these situations. Thank you so much. And I hope my voice is more clear, um, but that was really yeah, helpful. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> okay, great. Um, no, that was really helpful and great strategies to implement. Um, also, I would, I would love to know how do you balance um, research with the fast-paced nature of startups. Research is not always um, easy to put in the same timeline um, that certain projects require, um, especially when trying to be agile. And so do you have any tips for that and how to manage those expectations? Um, we talked a little earlier about research at, at, um, at startups. So one of the first things I would do is get some analytics in place, some tracking analytics. Um, another thing would be to really build um, a relationship with the customer support team and the sales team and get some sort of um, mechanism to um, document uh, questions and requests. Um, social media listening is another one, sites like G2 Crowd. 
Um, and then when it comes for conducting actual research, you know, making sure that the person who is doing the research is actually trained and knowledgeable so that the information that is collected um, is you're, you're confident that the information that was collected is meaningful and reliable and culturally relevant. Um, the last thing you want to do is conduct research and introduce flawed data from which you're making flawed decisions from. Um, going further than that, um, I love introducing rolling research um, to startups um, where we are running a a study either, either every week or every other week and setting up rolling research programs. I found that's an extremely effective way um, to build a continuous feedback loop and learning environment. Um, and actually there's um, a rolling research workshop I have on curiositytank.com under the expert series. Um, link that really dives into what rolling research is, how to set it up, and things like that. If you're interested in learning more about that. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much. Sure. Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad that we were able to actually complete the Q&A and we were able to cover a lot of people. In fact, everyone on stage. Again, guys, uh, if you are listening to this podcast, please do not hesitate to reach out to Michelle. Uh, follow her expertise. Do follow both of us. Okay, your engagement on this podcast, uh, the what you do as an engagement on LinkedIn does really help us to promote, boost the content, and it helps to reach uh, a massive audience. So your help and support will be very much appreciated. I have two questions for you, uh, Michelle, before we wrap today's conversation up. The first question which I like to ask you is, if there was any person living or dead and you wanted him or her to participate in a user research session with you, who would you choose and why? I'd probably choose my dad. Um, you know, my, my dad passed away, gosh, maybe 20 years ago. And I think I would just jump it. I wouldn't even have to ask him any questions. I just want to look at him. I'd want to hold his hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything to just kind of spend time with him. Um, but he was also an incredibly creative um, and technically savvy person. And I think he would make a fantastic researcher. And um, yeah, I think it, it would it would be my dad. That's an interesting question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. I'm positive he was a great man. You learned quite a lot. You have a lot of qualities which he has right now with what you're doing. So I appreciate that answer very, very much. I also wanted to ask you, like, uh, what kind of services can people reach out to you for within uh user research like can you maybe give us some classification i think the website is www.curiositytank.com so if you have to maybe promote like one specific offer which people you you want people to take advantage of what would that be yeah um my ask like a pro program uh focuses on teaching uh practitioners how to conduct uh user research um when we move through 
the actual research phase while conducting real research for project sponsors. Um, you can learn more about that um, under the individual um, training tab. Um, and we do a lot of team training. Uh, just put a quote together yesterday for um, a series of team trainings um, where we upskill um, either maybe we're looking to augment an existing user research team or there's no user researchers on staff today. So we're, we're building that bench strength and consulting. I typically um, work on retainers, um, but I do do some one-off projects as well and have a team of researchers to support. That is super, super cool. Now, if you could leave my listeners or our listeners with one thing they can take away from this whole conversation we had, what would that be? Um, remember that UX is a team sport, right? You can't and won't be successful if you're trying to push water uphill. Um, yeah, ask questions. There's no bad questions. Ask questions for a living. Right? And just try, to, try to be open-minded. Um, and to me, there's no better career, no more rewarding career in the world. And again, I fell into it, you know, by accident. Um, so if something strikes your fancy, Jason, building on what you said earlier, you know, pull that thread, explore it and, you know, have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and sometimes accidentally you end up, you know, in a place which you never assumed or thought you would end up and you might just enjoy it uh, for the rest of your life. So anything is possible. So I appreciate that, Michelle. I wanted to actually uh, let my audience and listeners know about the next week's show. Uh, it, it's going to be season four, episode 23. I'm going to be speaking to a wellness veteran. Okay, we are going to be speaking about building a sustainable spa challenges and solution with just Turgis. He has around 30 plus years of experience in the wellness industry. I, I think I have uh, listed the event details. I am guessing I should have. If not, uh, check the event page, this specific event page, uh, probably about an hour from now. You should be able to find those, uh, find that specific link for the next event. Uh, posted here or else if you if you are on my profile uh, just click on my profile go under the featured section and you should be able to find that specific event which i'm speaking about or dm me i'll just send you the link whatever you like i wanted to personally thank uh, michelle once again for giving me the opportunity to have this 90 minutes time and i have learned quite a lot i have made a lot of notes in fact you know i'm so excited and curious uh, probably I might get into UX or UR. Uh, I don't know, like, you know, but I'm a very research brain guy. So I don't know if something happens, Michelle, I would definitely, you would be the inspiration behind it. If I take such a step, that would be definitely because of this conversation we just had. So I, once again, thank you uh, for your time. And, and I learned quite a lot. I'm very happy that we were able to do this pleasant interview and i'm also very happy to see all these 17 odd individuals who are listening to us till the very end is there any final thoughts you have michelle before we wrap up thank you so much for having me it's, it's been delightful and the questions have been wonderful i appreciate the opportunity 
Absolutely, absolutely. Guys, please take care of yourself. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon wherever you are in the world. Uh have a fantastic day. Please take care.